Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books and Christian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network podcast. I'm your host, Crawford Gribben, and today I'm very glad to say my guest is Kenneth Austin. Kenneth teaches history at Bristol University in the UK, and we're talking to Kenneth today about his new book, just published by Yale University Press. It's called The Jews and the Reformation. Kenneth, congratulations on the book and welcome to the show. And thanks for having me on. Well, it's great to have you here and I really appreciate you taking time to talk about your work. But before we do that, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, Yes, so I'm uh, a historian at the the University of Bristol. I've been there for about uh, 15 years and uh, I teach especially uh, Reformation history uh, and I think sort of I suppose one of the one of the big questions that I'm most interested has always been uh, the relationship between different religious groups, both within Christianity and both in my PhD uh, that became my first book, and then in this book, the relationship between Christianity uh, and Judaism. Uh, so I think that's the uh, I suppose the 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 particular strand that has motivated me sort of uh, through most of uh, most of this period. I was, my PhD, which I did at St. Andrews University, looked at a 16th century convert from Judaism to Christianity, uh, Emmanuel Tremelius, uh, somebody that went on to a prestigious career as a uh, Hebrew scholar, uh, academic, and translator of the, the Bible. And, and my, my PhD, which became my first book, was a, a biographical study of him trying to understand the sorts of pressures that an individual like that uh, was subject to and to understand his career in the context of the 16th century. And I think with this book, uh, I, I suppose I've gone from the, the really the micro of that one person study to the macro, trying to think about the same broad set of questions, but across a period of closer to 200 years uh, and across much of Western Europe. Now, the, the Tremelius book is a, a really tremendous book. I read it when it came out and um, found it extremely helpful. Your new book, The Jews and the Reformation, is in some respects, or in, in many respects, actually a groundbreaking work. Um, in fact, Lyndall Roper at Oxford um, blurbs it as saying it's a book that transforms the subject. And I think that's true. Before we dive into your book particularly, could you tell us a little bit about the scholarly context in which you're working here? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think there's maybe a, at least a, a couple different things to, to, to say. So I think sort of in, in broad terms for a start, there is a, I suppose there's a, a, a fairly natural division in the types of history that is written. So on the one hand, there is a tendency for Christian authors or sort of Christian people within a Christian tradition to be writing for Christian readers. And similarly, for Jewish authors to be writing for Jewish uh, readers. Uh, and to, to some extent, that, that uh, thinking about the, the period of the Reformation and, and attitudes towards Jews and Judaism within that has tended to sort of fall down those, those lines so that in in the the... The historiography. There's a tendency for uh, Jewish uh, Jewish scholars to look at the experience of Jews almost as a as a, uh, a separate subject that it's sort of uh, hived off from the main part of of what um, 
Reformation scholars are, are thinking about. Um, and, and I think sort of the long-term sort of consequence of that is that the Jewish perspective and the Jewish contribution is really neglected. Uh, and I think there are, there are sort of uh, understandable reasons for that. The Jews possibly sort of constitute 1% of the, the population of Europe, so they are a minority. But as I, I think I try and sort of argue in the book, they, they, they perhaps hit above their weight in various respects, not least in the, in the Christian uh, imagination. But I think sort of also within the, the, the Christian context and actually even across those two, those two categories, there have been a, a, a large number of very focused studies, um, either looking at, um, well, like my own, like my own book, looking at an individual or looking at a, a sort of uh, a very localized study, uh, the Jews in Venice, for instance, uh, the Jews in Strasbourg, um, and, and, particular themes that that allow for that very sort of detailed, rich, nuanced study. But what I felt was that there there wasn't really enough of an effort to, to try and draw those various micro studies together. And I think sort of part of what I, I, I suppose I've been really trying in this book was at least to map out some of that bigger picture stuff, drawing on these different instances, but pulling together themes that are sometimes treated in, in rather different contexts. Um, some, and I think sort of, I mean, one of the, the bigger ones, for instance, I think um, is to, to put Jews and Judaism and Jewish scholarship together. It's sort of they they're, they're distinct clearly, and they have different uh, ramifications and, and significances. But in some ways, at least, they, I think they interconnect. And actually, sort of drawing them together in turn actually then allows one to draw out some of the the ambivalences, the ambiguities in Judeo-Christian uh, relations. Uh, so it kind of felt necessary to try and take that bigger picture uh, approach to try and say. Actually, how do Jews and Judaism fit within this broadly Christian Reformation context uh, across the 16th and 17th century? And at least in part to try and draw out some bigger patterns. I mean, that's still accepting that sort of there will be lots of uh, exceptions along the way, but sort of the, that sort of endless series of micro studies um, means that sometimes that bigger picture is only touched upon as framing for those those individual studies, and this is a kind of an effort, perhaps, to to, to shift the balance and to to, to look at that uh, uh, grander framework. And the book is very successful in doing that. It's a big book on a big subject, isn't it? And in some ways, it's framed by events which are much closer to us than the events of the Reformation. You begin the book by talking about Kristallnacht. I wonder, could you explain to us why you decided to do that, and also? how you dealt with some of the other challenges of writing about this subject in the particular context in which we find ourselves. Absolutely. And, and, and I, I think, I suppose it's to, to, to appreciate that when we think about Judeo-Christian relations, even in the early modern period, that we're, that we don't do them in neutral ways that, that sort of, whether uh, the, the, the legacy uh, of uh, the, the, second, the Second World War and Kristallnacht and, 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 and all of that um, really has, has determined 
both how I think sort of the uh, the population at large, but also writers on these subjects um, approach uh, approach the subject in the earlier period. I think there's sort of um, and it, and it maybe something of a, a double edged sword, but uh, I think the, the there is a ten a tendency to 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 kind of try and understand how how did we how did we reach a point in the 20th century uh when when so many jews uh, were killed how can that sort of ph- phenomenon be explained and to to some extent that has then pushed uh, uh, writers to look at the development of anti-judaism anti-semitism in earlier periods to kind of chart that narrative and i think that's an important question it frames uh, how we think about the subject and it's it's part of then the motivation to to kind of uh, address these big important questions I, I started by saying i'm interested in the sort of the, the relations between different religious groups and i think i think there I, I i suppose in sort of going back to many of the materials actually is sort of looking for the more positive dimensions the sort of it, the, the anti-judaism the anti-semitism is perhaps the, the thing that has tended to dominate the uh, the historical writing on the subject, but but I think that's maybe not the whole picture. So trying to bring out that more nuanced and, and sort of complex picture uh, is is at least part of what we're doing. At the same time, and I think it's sort of this is the sort of the, the balance to be struck. This awareness of twentieth century events frames how we think about it uh, about uh, earlier eras. But there's a risk that we then uh, are looking to. To draw undue connections um, that sort of, or to overplay or only look for those things that sort of lead in, and I think, I mean, in, in sort of the, the specific context of this uh, this book and, and these themes, it is striking the connection between Martin Luther and Kristallnacht, um, the fact that that various uh, figures involved in in those most brutal events in the in the 1930s. Um, see themselves as in some ways um, acting out uh, what Luther had intended um, uh, and, and making explicit links back. Um, this is part of a sort of, uh, because Luther wrote it against uh, uh, Jews, especially in his later career, uh, quoting his his works and, and sort of giving new attention to what he had to say in the, about the Jews uh, in the in the 1930s, um, and I think sort of again that connection I think is is really important. Sort of again framing how we have thought about these themes in sort of more recent decades, but at the same time I think I'm trying to to, to in some ways to to acknowledge that link in order to break it, and particularly with this book. Um, to, to then say the Reformation is much more than Martin Luther. Um, actually, that he his his attitudes are um, unrepresentative of of that Reformation whole, and, and sort of when those are the ones that we sort of most commonly encounter uh, in this context, that that's problematic for our basic understanding. That's that's fascinating, uh, Kenneth. The, the, the way you, you you arrived at that effort to nuance and complicate um, uh, Lutheran uh, legacies as, as they have rolled out to the, to, even to the present day. But well, I think one of the other things I found fascinating about your work here was not just that it had one eye to the future, but also one eye to the past. And you, you situate the Jews in the Reformation or the Jewish experience of the Reformations, for uh, maybe, uh, within a much broader 
continuum of Jewish-Christian relations. And you really, you begin really, uh, don't you, in the period of the first century. So mm-hmm. in a nutshell, what what is that long history of Jewish-Christian interactions? What is this parting of the ways uh, that you and other scholars uh, talk about in this period? Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose, I mean, it's... It's that the, the real complexity of what the Judeo-Christian tradition actually means. Uh, there, there, there is on the one side that sense that they are both uh, faiths that emerge from the same crucible, um, that they um, have much in common above all the shared uh, religious text of the what the Christians call the, the Old Testament. So on the one hand, that, that's sort of real points of similarity, um, but at the same time then the, the, the two uh, traditions have, have separated. I and mean, sometimes people talk about the departing of the, the ways, uh, sometimes the sort of the, an effort to, to kind of suggest actually that whole process is something that sort of uh, itself, maybe we, we've kind of made nice and neat and sort of we have, I, I get sometimes we have that sort of sense that Christianity in quotation marks and Judaism in quotation marks are sort of things that sort of can be sort of uh, neatly um, traced at that early stage. It's a bit fuzzier, but that as kind of uh, Christianity emerges as a, as an entity, some of the some some argue at least that Judaism, in a sense, also develops its own um, identity in opposition to Christianity, and to to some extent because of those similarities. Actually, the two then are in a process of self-definition, using the other as one of their main reference points. And so, uh, I mean, again, most obviously, uh, the sort of the, the two uh, reflect their distinct identities by augmenting uh, the Old Testament or the, uh, the the Hebrew Scriptures with supplementary texts. So, the the New Testament and the Christian tradition. The Talmud uh, in the Judaic, um, and that even in the, even in a place like the New Testament, those ambiguities continue to to play out. Sort of, is the New Testament a reaction against Judaism? Is it an effort to separate away from, or is it an effort to um, imply a level of continuity? And in fact, I, I think sort of the, the way I read it, there's sort of there, there's elements of both. Um, and, and sort of there are many ways in which, uh, you know, in the New Testament, Christ is is pre- presented as the fulfillment of the promises in the Old Testament, that the two, uh, the two um, testaments need to be seen together at the same time, and sort of particularly in, in scenes like uh, uh, the Passion, um, the Jews are held directly responsible for Christ's death. Uh, and that... Uh, that sort of initial tension, I think, only becomes more pronounced. And, and in, uh, in that first uh, chapter, uh, I do then try and sort of, in a sort of a, something of a whistle stop tour, but sort of try and uh, uh, think about that um, uh, emerging and developing relationship between the two in the period up to the eve of the Reformation, sort of into the, at least into the, the 15th century. And, um, I think sort of, I suppose it's, it's worth saying that sort of tensions are not always, uh, apparent or, but they, but they are, they, they sometimes become more pronounced, particularly at times of stress. But I think sort of 
that that ambiguity and that sort of sometimes um, emphasizing the distinction, sometimes acknowledging the similarities is kind of part of what what makes I think the sort of Judeo-Christian relationship so interesting in the first place that it it is just has these different uh, levels, but it's also what makes it sort of uh, harder to to just sort of draw a neat line. In fact, again, there are these conflicting impulses uh, that will will take precedence at different times. Well, let's stay with this idea of um, of, of definitions and ambiguities, Kenneth, and let's talk about mm. uh, the other big buzzword in your title, which is Reformation. Now, uh, I was fascinated to see that you begin your discussion of Reformation not, I suppose, with a kind of classic set piece of Luther and his hammer, a 95 Theses, and a door in 1517, but actually a generation earlier with the Spanish Reconquest, also described as a Reformation. Why did you decide to frame your discussion of Reformation in, in such a surprising but enlightening way? Thanks for the, for, for the question. Um, I, I think there's maybe two different reasons or main uh, things that I was thinking about there. I mean, the, the first, and I kind of, I suppose, I alluded to this already, was that I, I suppose I wanted to, to decenter Luther um, and to, to move away from, I mean, exactly as you say, the, 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 the classic account of the Reformation starts, starts with Martin Luther in 1517. Um, and and I, I think sort of both because his views on Jews are the things that have maybe received greatest attention. I, I was kind of keen to, to su- suggest there is a broader context. But the second and more fundamental uh, consideration is that I suppose I'm trying to say that Martin Luther's uh, uh, rise uh, and appearance on the scene is one iteration of a much broader phenomenon. Um, that That is the greater attention to... Uh, religious reform, broadly understood, uh, emerging through the the Renaissance uh, in the 15th century um, and then really sort of gathering great momentum in the the latter part of the the 15th century and into the start of the 16th. So while we do have Luther uh, coming out with his his challenge to the, the Catholic Church and the 95 Theses in 1517, we have other people offering similar critiques of elements of Christianity, whether uh, Erasmus as a, as a humanist, um, pointing out some of the things that he didn't like about uh, the Catholic Church, though still aiming uh, and, and remaining within uh, the Christian uh, Christian Church, within the Catholic Church. Um, and then uh, people in a whole range of, of other territories, again, asking questions about uh, the nature of their religion. Some, like Luther, ultimately breaking from Catholicism, others remaining within it. And I think the the expulsion of the, the Jews uh, and and as, as one element of the process of re-Christianizing uh, or Christianizing of uh, Spain by Ferdinand and Isabella is another manifestation of that same broad um, phenomenon that that kind of anxiety, I think there's sort of uh, an awareness perhaps or a kind of renewed attention to what it is to be a good Christian, what it is to be a good Christian ruler, 
what it is to be a good Christian society. And I think sort of that Luther, for, for, for the ease of the narrative of the Reformation and sort of when, I, when I'm sort of giving first year lectures, the sort of, it's, it's, it's nice to have a figure around whom uh, you can hang this movement and use that as an opportunity to think about the different beliefs and practices that, that, are, that are sort of germane to this. But actually, that is to personify uh, a broader movement and that kind of uh, continent-wide um, re-evaluation of what it is to, to be a Christian, uh, I think, uh, is, is really what I see as the start of the Reformation. And sort of because, again, also because this is a book in which I'm talking about Reformations, uh, as sort of some trendy historians do, that sort of pluralized version, uh, Protestant and Catholic, uh, is a sort of an effort to, to acknowledge that diversity. It's not that the Lutherans, for instance, have a monopoly on this. Actually, this is a sort of a whole series of religious groups all kind of conducting parallel uh, movements of religious reform. Uh, and by moving away from Martin Luther, the, the kind of the natural starting point was, a, I think, at least in, in part, a, a, an attempt to signal that uh, difference of, of approach. Now, as, as, as we go into the heart of your book, Kenneth, we see you working in a canvas of, I suppose, more or less 200 years or, or, or thereabouts. And within that broad canvas, you're describing how different religious groups, some of which you've just mentioned, Catholics, Lutherans, Calvinists, even Anabaptists who are not always included in this kind of discussion, which again, I think is one of the real benefits of your work. But you, you're interested in showing how each of these religious groups and others uh, are developing uh, attitudes to or even relationships with Jews or Jewish texts, Hebrew language, um, um, even reconstructing Jewish religion in various kinds of ways. Could, could, you, could you tell us a little bit more about how each of those movements develop in their relationships with Jews, Jewishness, Hebrew language, and so on. Absolutely. I, I mean, I suppose, and 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 uh, the the broad structure, exactly as you say, sort of uh, in the 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 middle chapters of the book. I mean, I, I think there's, and it's one of the the issues that I, I really wrestled with in in writing it was exactly how to how to organise this material, uh, and I think sort of there is a broad division sort of chapter by chapter looking at these different uh, Christian strands but at the same time also trying to to, to sort of superimpose uh, a chronological dimension to that so I mean I think sort of a couple of things just by, by way of framing uh, I think part of what I, I want to say is that within each of these uh, different uh, Christian groups there is variation um, that it again sort of well what well, one might be tempted to and, and, there's, and I may still go go on and do this in later in the answer and sort of to, to sort of say this is the Lutheran position this is the Calvinist position and so on but I think it is important that we acknowledge that there is the, the uh, membership of those particular uh, groups uh, does um, doesn't mean that the, there is a sort of canonical set of beliefs that one must hold excuse me <clears throat> but also to, to appreciate that there are uh, various recurrent themes uh, that one can, can see being exemplified within each of these traditions uh, as well, so that there are uh, the, some of the same sorts of questions and approaches on a Catholic and a Protestant side, for instance, or on a Lutheran 
uh, on a Calvinist side. All that said, uh, I think there, there, there are still broad patterns that one, uh, that one can uh, identify, um, at least in part as well. I think there, there may be an, an element where those are framed by, at le- again, uh, to some extent, by the experiences of the, the leaders of the movement, uh, the, the respective movements, uh, and especially uh, where, where they live and how lightly they are to encounter Jews in their own lives. So one of the, the obvious things to, 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 to note is that part, the, part of the reason why Luther writes about Jews more frequently than any of the other uh, leading Protestant uh, figures is that actually he was living in, in the Holy Roman Empire, sort of living in territory where Jews were quite, um, quite likely to be encountered in, in relative terms whereas Calvin and some of the other members of the Reformed movement were far less likely to, to encounter Jews. And, and consequently, they, Jews as, as, as living people, people living among them, were less of an immediate issue. So um, for that reason, to, uh, there may be sort of um, the way that they even thought of the, the issue in Jews, Judaism, uh, differs because of, because of that sort of uh, fundamental context. Certainly, uh, I mean, Luther famously starts uh, very um, positively uh, in his writing about the, the Jews in, in 1523, so only six years after his initial protest against the, the Catholic Church, and initially um, advocates that Christians should be more sympathetic than he thinks the Catholic Church has been to Jews, presenting a different face of Christianity and that this will bring uh, Jewish uh, conversion, uh, Jews converting to his version or his uh, type of of Christianity. When that doesn't happen and sort of when he becomes rather more uh, disillusioned with some of the achievements of the the Reformation uh, in the last years of his life, especially in 1543, he then writes these uh, horrific uh, works against the Jews uh, and says that they can never be converted, uh, and so on. His his colleagues within the Lutheran movement, as I as I kind of suggesting, are rather more sympathetic, and sort of a number of them sort of disavow what he what he has to to say. But there is a perhaps that sort of um, animosity, perhaps um, is is maybe sharpest within the, the the Lutheran tradition. Within the, the, the Calvinist, or more broadly, the Reformed, uh, with a capital R uh, world, there is perhaps more of a tendency to, to, to demonstrate interest in um, the nature of Judaism and Judaic learning. I mean, again, uh, Lutheran scholars do this, but it seems more uh, common amongst Calvinist scholars that they will draw perhaps more explicitly on rabbinic um, uh, scholarship when they're looking at the Bible uh, and trying to understand uh, what is going going on uh, in different passages, uh, for instance. And there's, I think, uh, uh, I think more of a, a more sustained engagement perhaps with the, with the Old Testament. And in order to do that then with the Hebrew language, and uh, Jewish 
uh, intellectual world uh, more broadly. So that sort of thorough engagement with that seems perhaps uh, most pronounced uh, amongst the, the reform tradition to the extent as well that uh, sometimes that they they see themselves uh, the Calvinists as um, the, the the new chosen people and the the sort of uh, that kind of classic Christian idea of supersessionism, the idea that Christianity has replaced or Christians have replaced the Jews as God's chosen people. But I think sort of for the Calvinists, that that then even manifests itself in a, a readiness to identify quite explicitly with the, uh, the, the, the Jews of the Old Testament, even taking on um, names that have those those overtones, so starting to calling themselves Abraham and and, uh, and and things like like that. The radicals, I suppose, it's sort of the radi- sort of if it's difficult to generalize about sort of uh, these mainstream Protestant groups, for the radical groups, the the various groups of Anabaptists becomes even harder uh, because there's sort of uh, each group has its its own um, particular viewpoint and, and take. Um, for some of them, at least, uh, and one of the recurrent strands among the, uh, the, the more radical sect of the, the, Re- the Reformation um, connects to the Sabbatarianism and when, and when the, the Sabbath is to be, to be celebrated. Uh, and for, for some groups uh, in particular, there is a, a, a perhaps a readiness both to, to consider um, moving away from the Sabbath on on Sunday and to 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 revert to biblical practice when a lot of <clears throat> what the Reformation is is thinking about uh, how excuse me <clears throat> thinking about how uh, the 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 Bible should be a touchstone for Christian behaviour that one of the the questions is is quite how how much of it and how literal how literally one follows what one encounters there. Uh, and I think sort of one of the, one of the, the, the discoveries is that uh, the, the idea of Sunday worship isn't something that, that has sort of very clear uh, in the, uh, evidence in the, in the Bible. Uh, and so there, there are some of these radical groups start suggesting that actually uh, celebrating the Sabbath on the, on the Saturday um, would be um, uh, actually, sort of more appropriate, but I think sort of by this point it's become so uh, ingrained in Christian culture that this is sort of another step too far from the, the radicals. The Catholics, finally, I, I suppose, um, uh, to in this sort of very very quick sort of sweep over the the top. I think sort of there they're. I suppose that they for 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 the Catholics they have the. The longest history, as it were, of, of already thinking about uh, about uh, how to deal with Jews, um, and uh, and, I, and I think sort of, but then that is informed by being in that Reformation context and an awareness that what the Protestants are doing sort of uh, does start to shape some of their thinking on this as well. But I think sort of there, there one of the, the the fundamental questions, and I think this is truth across the board that hope that Jews will convert to Christianity at some stage. There is that, and, and I think sort of within the, 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 the Christian, within the Catholic tradition, um, uh, the Augustine in particular, fourth century church father, um, who talks about um, tolerating 
Jews, allowing them to live among Christians, but because they they played an important part in in the uh, the, the story of uh, of civilization and sort of particularly within Christianity, not least that they preserved the the books of the the Old Testament. Uh, they now serve, as he argues, as a as a living witness to uh, what happens if you fail to follow God's message, that he argues the, the fact that they are um, spread uh, across, uh, sort of scattered across uh, Europe when he's, uh, and, and sort of further afield when he's writing, uh, is is evidence of the, the fact that they've um, lost God's favour and therefore they, they, re- they serve as a reminder that one should continue to uh, act in accordance with, with God's will. But he says... They serve an important uh, place or, or, or role in, in that sort of grand scheme of things. They should be allowed to, to live amongst Christians, um, but they should be kept in a somewhat subjugated uh, position. That becomes more complicated, or, and certainly sort of in the Middle Ages, some argue that, um, that Augustine was talking about biblical Jews, um, those that lived in accordance with the Old Testament, whereas what they're being confronted with uh, are Jews um, that now adhere to the Talmud. Uh, and these are different and therefore don't need to be treated in the same way. And this, this becomes a sort of a point of contention amongst sort of the Catholic uh, leadership. But there is, uh, there remains a desire to bring about uh, Jewish conversion, either through uh, more positive means and sort of providing them the opportunity to convert should they wish. So houses of converts are established uh, in uh, in Rome, but in various other Italian cities, for instance, places where Jews can learn about Christianity um, and be protected and, and sort of help to, help to learn, but to be protected from the, 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 the assumed harmful influence of continuing contact with their fellow uh, fellow Jews. So that kind of quite positive and sort of reassurance that you won't lose uh, your property or anything that you've got if you do convert uh, on the one hand. Alongside that, and certainly sort of one of the, the, the strands that develops in the mid-16th century, um, coming emanating from the papacy uh, and the, the, of the Counter-Reformation especially, is a sort of more of an effort to use threats or hardship, uh, and that is the, the use especially of uh, ghettos, uh, and particularly you, ghettos had, had existed in some ways or sort of allow for Jewish um, existence alongside Christians, but sort of from the, the mid-1550s, um, ghettos are increasingly then used as a, as a means of, of really forcing Jews to uh, or the hope is that they, it will force them to convert to, to Christianity by, by making their, their experiences as um, unpalatable as, as possible, that they are then subjected to Christian, Christian theology sermons, sometimes delivered in Hebrew, that they are forced to listen to, for instance, that they are, uh, the, the jobs that they can um, fulfill are, are very limited and, and menial in nature, that they are kind of obliged to live in this close, cramped um, ghetto. Their access to um, the, 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 the key things of their religion sort of really reduced, so maximum one synagogue within 
uh, within that uh, and so on. Again, worth saying though, that sort of that sort of that, that, that emphasis on conversion through hardship um, is only one strand and sort of seems especially prevalent in the, in the second half of the, the 16th uh, century and sort of emanating from certain popes. Um, there is a sort of, again, a reversion back to, to that more balanced uh, set of views uh, later on. And again, that sort of that is a message that when one looks at, at, at Catholicism across the continent, one sees a rather more very vari- variable pattern that some uh, Catholic rulers end up being the most sympathetic to their Jews, uh, the Jews in, in their territories and the, the, the sort of series of Holy Roman emperors, in particular the, the biggest or most powerful Catholic uh, rulers um, consistently act as defenders of their, their Jews. Um, but as, a, as I say, I think so, as that hopefully indicates, at least it's a complex picture and, and the, the book tries to sort of deal, deal with that and, and more. It's such a big subject, Kenneth, isn't it? And we really appreciate the time you've given us today coming on to the show to talk about this new book, The Jews and the Reformation, just published uh, by Yale University Press. Thank you for your time and take care. And thanks to everyone else for listening in today. I'll see you next time on New Books and Christian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network podcast.